Hello and welcome to the Pete Barter Podcast, where you will join Pete in interviewing top-level thought leaders in education, music, and business, as well as a sneak peek into Pete's thoughts and challenges. This episode is all about... We're going to dig back into the archives and have a listen to some of the amazing interviews that I've done with some extraordinary artists and business people and coaches and mentors that I've had the absolute privilege and honor to associate with and to interview and to ask questions. Make sure you let me know who you want me to interview. I'll track them down and I'll ask the questions. Whatever you are doing right now, keep on doing it and enjoy this episode of the Pete Barter Podcast. Hello guys, uh, my name is Pete from ETR Music. I have the legendary Terrapire Richmond here with me uh, today. Doesn't usually come to Adelaide and uh, an amazing opportunity for me to, to sit and chat and ask Terrapire a few questions about about him, his, uh, his drumming life and I guess a little bit of his band life and, and experience. So thanks for coming and spending Pleasure. time with me Terrapire. Pleasure to be here. You know how big of an influence you are and the reason I play drums today is because I saw this guy play when I was nine years old in Adelaide with a band called Dig. Yeah. Um, and I started having lessons a few years later and my drum teacher Billy said to me oh, go and have a listen to these three albums and tell me which one you like the most and the album I brought back was a band called Dig and I made the reference and it turns out it's this guy right here so um, I've been fortunate enough to, to, to have his phone number and talk stupid things with him on the phone every so often and, and it's good fun so a couple of really quick questions for the people at home that may not know who you are mm-hmm. Terrapai Richmond um, how long have you been playing drums for? Oh, gee, that'd be giving away quite a bunch, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, I started playing when I was six. Uh, my my parents had a, an entertaining and catering business, and um, the whole family was involved in the whole, you know, the whole show. And uh, I was not forced to, but sat on the front of the stage with a set of bongos when yeah. I was six. And then um, my dad had all of the backline gear, he owned it all and um, I think it was one night when I think I was seven by this time and the drummer was sick or didn't show up or whatever. Typical drummer. Typical drummer, I was late (laughs) and um, I ended up getting thrown behind the drum kit and um, luckily enough my uncle who was playing guitar in the band had some drumming experience and um, he pretty much just showed me a couple of really simple things so when I was seven and um, played that I think it was like it might have even just been one groove cool played that for the whole every song the whole changed. <laughs> and nothing changes <laughs> look at that um, so yeah it's, it's quite a number of years now I started when I was six anyway have you done anything else have you deferred to anything else and come back I know that's you mean other instruments or other anything else? I know yeah. soccer, not golf. So the hat reminds me of golf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so soccer or surfing are your other two passions? Uh, yeah, soccer not so much these days. You know, um, soccer's quite a taxing sport on the body. Yeah. Well, as is surfing too. But I've just um, over the years I have you know stuck to surfing as my main um, other kind of release from from everything else in life and it's such a great balance for me both mentally and physically you know it's, it's one of those sports that um, it's not even a sport it's almost like a I mean people call it a sport people consider it a sport I guess it is when you start competing well it is yeah well you know I guess there's definitely sporting elements to it but 
there's also a really um, spiritual and, and um, mental draw card to the well, to the sport. <laughs> and how many hours would you surf? You still surf now? I do. Yeah, I still surf a lot. Actually, yeah. uh, pretty much the way you know with the internet these days, you can forecast a lot of the best days that are going to happen and where they're going to happen and what time and what you know what the swell's going to do and what the wind's going to do. And you live on the beach, so do you travel from where you live? Yeah, to yeah I live close to the beach, and so I mostly surf my local area, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah, I do travel to other places. Um, depends on which course. Yeah, dep- yeah, depending on what the waves are going to be doing and the wind and all that kind of thing. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that's a bit of a background, nitty gritty stuff. The the important questions that I want to ask you is a little bit more about communication and, and how how it is to communicate with either the audience or other band members or even home family life. You know, it can't be easy being on the road as much as you are, and you do have kids. So, well, if you could give um, a musician or a songwriter one tip for them to be able to communicate well to others uh, or their audience, what would it be and why? Uh, well, I guess for different reasons, you well, essentially it's all the same. But I mean, there's different ways that you would, um, you know, as a songwriter, artist, musician, whatever you want to call yourself, or whatever it is you kind of see yourself as specialising in. I think when you're, you know, in music, mostly the goal of of music is trying to create a feeling um, for the listener and also yourself, I I guess, you know, and and regardless of what kind of feeling it is, whether whether you want people to dance or whether you want people to cry or whether you want people to smile or, or... whatever emotion it is you want them to feel from from what you're giving them, I guess um, being able to communicate that firstly to your band members or the other members contributing to what Some you're trying to achieve and, and that can change, um, well it can change within one song, you know, um, depending on the arrangement and what kind of style of music it is and what kind of song it is, you know, there might be that kind of flow through the song where they cry at the start and they're smiling at the end and they're dancing by the, you know, okay. by the very end. But I guess, you know, most songs kind of, you know, you create a feeling from one song and, and then you sort of move on through the set yeah. of songs that you've written on the... On the yeah. And I guess the question primarily is because we, we run an organisation that is about communicating well, mm. um, not just as a music sense, but the other divisions that we run in corporate and things like that. We were chatting earlier mm. about how important it is to have a, a happy work work life or a work balance or a workplace. Yeah. It's the same for you, obviously, when you're touring. Yeah, I think, you know, being a musician and choosing choosing that as a, as a I guess, a career path, um, we're already winning, <laughs> whether you're having yeah. a good time or a, ba- a bad day at work, you know. Uh, but no doubt there are some people that you've toured with um, that have had a horrible experience on a plane trip or something, and yeah. do they bring that with them to the gig? Does that bring? Yeah, that you know, you always you're always carrying you're always carrying your luggage around, and I and I, and I guess. Um, I guess the best way to deal with that, you know. Um, is to try and um, 
like just it depends how personal it is or what it is and how close you are to your band members or whoever it is that you just choose to hang out with when you're on the road. Um, for me personally, I I just I, I love I love being on the road. I love touring. I love meeting people. I love hanging out with friends that I've met and 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 have have an association with each time I go back. Yeah. To a new or to a town, I love going to new cities, especially those. But mostly in Australia, I've been yeah <laughs> been doing laps around the country yeah. for so a very long time. The bands you've toured with for the for the people at home and that I know you've toured with, uh, I guess Guy Sebastian, The Whitlands, uh, Pete Murray, you've done some stuff with not you tour with Pink, but you jam with Pink in, in LA. Yeah, I did a session. Well, I actually did a session for. Um, for a guy that opened for Missy Higgins when we first okay. when I was touring, touring with Missy, as well. so I was touring with Missy Higgins in Australia and America for quite some time. And um, one of the first American tours we did, there was a really amazing young singer songwriter called Robert Francis, and he he um, you know he did that whole first tour, I think six weeks on the road. And you know we developed a pretty cool relationship right. with him, with him and his band. And uh, I think on another run back to America, the bass player and I, Dave Symes, he uh, who's now the bass player, fifth member of Boy and Bear. Um, he and I were in LA, and Robert Francis was recording and asked us to come along and do some stuff. And he just happened to get um, or. Pink was coming in to do some vocals on okay. on one of the tracks, and right. so we were in the studio um, when she rocked up. And how long ago was this? This was probably this was a few years ago now. Um, well, that session was anyway. Yeah, Gee, I can't remember when. It was a few years ago. But, um, yeah, it was a great time. She's a great girl. Super. Just like one of the boys, really. Yeah, right. <laughs> she actually came in with a case of beer. Oh, like, who wants a beer? Yeah, right. Oh, so, that's uh, that's yeah. That's you know, that's that's nice clean water for the office place. Well, you know what? For a musician. Well, that's the kind of thing that sets up a really cool, fun, um, yeah. happy work environment. Yeah. Don't do I'm that not, if you're at work. I'm not, I'm not saying the beer thing. Yeah. And or alcohol. Yeah. Full stop. I'm just saying, you know, for someone that you have in such high regard to just kind of walk in and treat you like she's. You're, you're her best friend, yep. um, and you know, have you know, have a drink, let's hang out, let's yeah. do this recording. Um, yeah. Everything's cool, you know. She's super cool, and and I think, um, I think just I don't know. I guess just having people that don't that don't put themselves on a different plane, you know, plane to you. Yeah. Um, that. I think people that just treat you treat you well, yeah, and it helps you be a better musician in their band because you absolutely, absolutely, it helps yeah. you be a better person in their organisation. Yeah, it's good. well, it just makes you feel welcome and like you're part of the family and like you want to give yeah. what it is you have yeah, yeah. and why you know the reason you're there because you have something yeah. and and you the more welcome they make you feel, the more willing you are to to give what you you know give up your talent. Not for that. So. Very good. Um, you're touring. You're in Adelaide because you're touring currently with Nairi. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about Nairi. Well, Nairi is. Uh, I, I haven't done a lot of stuff with Nairi. I, I, I've done bits and pieces over the years. I did a few sessions in her early days before I'd even met her. I just did them with the producer who was who was recording her music at the time. 
Uh, and everyone had sort of kept talking about how great she was and, and she was amazing and everything. And I, I'd never really seen her live, so I couldn't, I couldn't really, um, you know, have my own opinion or perspective on that until I got asked to do some shows. And um, did you perform an idol with her? She, she, she was an idol, right? I've got no idea. Okay, okay. I know you've played on some of those shows. <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of those shows with various artists. And I haven't actually, actually, I played on as a house, sort of a house band on a, on a couple of things. But I haven't, yeah, I didn't do Nairi on, um, on any of the... Okay. Right, so you just happened to get the phone call one day? So yeah, I got a phone call. Yeah, yeah, just to see if I was available and I happened to be, and which is a freak of nature. Well, yeah, but yeah. But you make yourself available because the music's good. You, well, that's, that's, that's kind of where I've gotten to, to in, my, um, in my career these days. I, I kind of feel like I'm okay to say no to certain things that I don't sort of feel like all that drawn to, you know. I'm trying to, I'm getting better at it, I'm trying to say yes yeah. only to the things that I like artistically or musically yeah. or, um, you know, the things that really make me want to smile. Yeah, and that helps you because you don't feel drawn down by bands that you're not so keen on touring with as a, as a group of people or as a type of music? Uh, probably more musical. Um, if you'll tolerate anybody pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I don't have problems with many people, you know, and if uh, there's there's certainly been occasions on on certain tours where I if I haven't been that close to somebody, all I do is just go into my own thing. Yeah. And um, it's not it's not a problem. I just you know, I think that's one way that I either avoid any type of conflict or any type of you know weird stuff happening, you just go and do your own thing. And I guess when you are touring, particularly on a big tour, um, for any sort of lengthy period of time, I think it's nice to be able to get away from other people or from everyone really, right. whenever you can on the road. Um, so having having other interests like you know playing golf or looking at op shops or yeah. <laughs> or finding the best coffee in the city or finding the best restaurant or going to the gym or going going you know whatever it is sleeping whatever it's, it's a, I think it's a really important thing to get away from the people that you're working with for some period during the you know every day because if you're in if you're in each other's faces a lot it can really take its toll you know yeah, no doubt, no doubt. yeah. so that's one of 1700 questions that I want to ask you. <laughs> um, if you could go back to the beginning of your career, uh, what are the changes that you might make? Um, well, when you say between me and you, don't the, uh, the beginning of my career, do you, are you referring to when I was six and thrown behind a pair of or are you referring to my more professional uh, Let's go from dig, on, dig onwards. So from, from when I right. known you as a drummer. Okay, so from dig onwards, I, I pretty much um, well, kind of co-formed the band Dig, um, almost as soon as I finished school, I was doing a couple of things in a band called, uh, actually I joined a band called Belly Dance, I think when I was, when I was still at school. Um, the drummer at the time, I'd had a couple of lessons off and he just got in the gig with um, a girl called Jenny Morris to tour with Prince. Right. And, and you know, for a young schoolboy, that was amazing. Yeah. In itself. How old were you then? 
I was so I would have been probably eight, seventeen or eighteen. Amazing. And so he he got that gig, but I I ended up in his gig, which was a band called Belly Dance. Right. Um, and the keyboard player who who was in or who is in Dig, um, so he he just got a phone call from a DJ who was asked to play at the launch of a label called Talking Loud, right. um, which was one of the big acid jazz. Uh, record labels. Right. In fact, the first kind of as a jazz record label that was launched, sort of launched that whole style of music here. Um, so we, he got asked to do it, do the launch, and basically, as, as most people would know, that whole as a jazz thing is a kind of a fusion of jazz and funk and yep. dance and, mm-hmm. and and a few other bits and pieces thrown in. Um, so he 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 called up. This was Scott Saunders, by the way, the keyboard player. He called up a bunch of people that he thought might suit that that kind of thing—a jazzy, funky, um, essentially a jazzy, funky kind of outfit with a few other spices yeah. thrown in the mix. Um, yeah. And I happened to be the drummer, and we did that first. It was a one-off. We did the gig, um, and it went so well that we decided to. Um, Form the band, did and start writing and and started gigging from there. And I mean, in terms of changing anything, I I was so green at the time. I I wouldn't have even known. So is there is there a type of I don't know, like me? It's just take it as it comes. That's how it is. That's fate. Whatever happened, happened. But is there something that would make you go? I would have not taken that gig had I known it would have done that. No, I don't think so, because I did have a couple of other options at the time. Um, there was also a band called Swoop, yep. who were also, the main couple of guys were from Adelaide. Um, but Swoop was going really well at the time, at the same time that Dig was going, started going really well. And actually both the bass player and myself, who were, were playing in both of those bands, right, okay. and we both, in the same, at the, pretty much the same time, Swoop was asked to tour. Where are they going? They were, I think they were touring maybe a big, just a big national tour. And Dig was going to Europe to tour. And, you know, it was the first time in my early career that something had clashed so dramatically that I had to, you know, actually make a choice. And I chose to go with the Dig. How far? I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you did, man. <laughs> So I chose awesome. Dig and the bass player chose Swoop. Yeah, right. And, um, and what, 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 it was Alex Hewitt's Alex, so yeah. he's, he's back in Dig, right? He's now back in Dig, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, you know, or whenever we play. Like, yeah, 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 so, yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Sorry, <laughs> Swoop. Yeah. He's seen the dark side. Yeah. Um, you know what? When I listen back to some of the early Dig stuff, I, I think like most artists, they... A lot of people kind of get a bit cringy at listening to their early stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody does. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are happy with the yeah. way they... I'm the other way. I, mean, I love what I played 10 years ago. Now I'm like, I'm too critical. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not listening to it. Well, you know, I just feel like there was a point in my career when we were touring, um, when Dig toured Europe one year, um, we did a bunch of festivals and we just happened to be on the same bill as um, The Roots, Bank of The Roots, with Questlove on, mm-hmm. on drums. Nice. And that was the first time I'd seen Questlove. It was the first time I'd even heard of The Roots or Questlove. This is back in 95, 1995. Did you have the brush in his head? 
he had the comb in his hand. He hasn't changed much. He he had. Um, it was it was one of their first records. Do you want more? It was called and, and and I think you know they definitely had a following, but they were just at the beginning of their career. Yep. And after, like we played our dig set, and I, and I you know we felt really happy about it. And then I saw um, we hung around and I was like, oh, these guys look pretty cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I hang around and watch. So we watched and I from that moment on I yeah, I, I it to groove from that point it on. It just changed me. Yeah. My so that's perception a point. That's yeah. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Yeah. One of my other questions was what what do you find in your industry that was a game changer and I'm guessing seeing that Yep, seeing Quest Love yeah. play great in nineteen ninety five changed well, my I have a surprise for you today, Terry. <laughs> 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 <Yeah, that was laughs> well that's great. I've got a couple more real quick ones. Yeah. Living or dead, who is the one or two people that we'd like to spend one day with? For one day. Living or dead. Yeah. Wow. Um Quest Love would probably be Right up there, the thing that he's on the tip of my tongue at the moment. Right. Um, okay, as a player, as someone you can just jam against, uh, or just go and have a laxer like, down at the. Yeah, look, I really dig his, uh, what he's into. He's into amazing soul, funk, yeah. hip hop, basically kind of black music. Okay. Um, he was brought up on amazing um, jazz and, again, well, again, kind of black music from his father's record collection. Um, he. He's just into cool music. He's a great producer. I think if I was to hang out with him, it would be to kind of, it would be to talk about, yeah, you know, yeah. talk about him, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. about what what yeah. the surf's like, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, yeah, him or maybe you know, in terms of music or drumming, maybe Steve Jordan, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe. I don't know Al Foster. There's so many. There's so many. Yeah. Once you start thinking about it, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of endless. It room. depends what kind of conversation you want to have. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So all right. So if I can arrange Questlove and yourself, <laughs> we can interview that. We can. We can make sure it thing. Right. Leave it with sure thing. <laughs> you have these surprises times and times. Um, uh, obviously, you appear to be on the road for a big chunk of the year. Can you tell me? Um, your tricks and your tips for maintaining a healthy relationship back home. We're getting, get, get personal now. Oh yeah, look, that's a pretty easy one. You know, I think just making sure I put a lot of time and effort into um, home life yeah. when I am at home, and and making it for, doing it for real. You know, like. I'll do. I'm not. I'm not afraid to do three piles of dishes a day. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if if I'm going on tour, like I did a pile this morning, actually a, a big pile. <laughs> had um, yeah. Had mother-in-law over, and it was uh, actually she was pretty good. She helped out a bit, but you know, if there's a bunch of work to be done at home, I'll I'll I'm happy to just smash it all out yeah. and you've just painted, painted the kids oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I painted the house still actually it's been on room. hold <laughs> I've just built it, been building some um, furniture recently just um, building furniture yeah like you're building or like live wood building uh, well basically um, I've been a huge fan of council cleanups right in, I don't know what you call them here hard yeah. rubbish day yeah. or 
So yeah, you know, when street op shops. Yeah, street street <laughs> shopping. Um, I've been a fan since forever, and um, I think for you know for a couple of reasons. My perspective is um, one. It saves it from going to landfill. Like I'm sure everyone is aware of how much great stuff people throw away, and also aware of how much great stuff. Um, people stupidly buy in the first place yeah. um, to replace their not broken other thing that they, that was that was already there. But anyway, you know, obviously there's a lot of great things that get thrown away. Um, not only do I kind of look for those great, usually I look for sort of vintage items, yeah. you know, but I also look for building materials, right. um, and which I have quite a collect, or have had, and still have a fair yeah, collection good, good on the home. On well. But kind of, yeah. I've, I've been building most of our furniture in our house, built big cubby house, built um, all sorts of furniture just from, you know, materials sourced from council cleanups and yeah, just like any um, any carpenter would, um, you know, just cleaning up the tip, cleaning up the materials, whether I need to plane them or just sand them, and then. Cut them and design a piece awesome. that I want to build, and yeah, so Great, man. Doing cool. that. That's yeah. Cool. One last question. Yeah. This is the this is the big one. If you were able to change the music industry by changing or improving one thing, what would it be and why? Wow. One Improves thing. the music industry. There's <laughs> one thing that you don't get, like about the industry. Get rid of awful music. No. <laughs> um, wow. One more comes to my shows then, in terms. <laughs> One thing to improve the music industry. Um, I think perhaps improve everyone's, well not everyone, almost everyone's perception of the value of a musician. Great. And that can open a whole can of worms, can't yeah, it? Can it sure can. Yeah, yeah. I'm having that conversation with someone right now online and it's just right. a really great in-depth debate on it's got hundreds of posts, and it's just an amazing debate, and it should be aired, it should be made visible to people that aren't so familiar with the stuff that we go through as musicians, as performing monkeys, that sometimes get peanuts. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Sometimes, most times. Yeah, you know, it's all, <laughs> but, you know, I guess it's relative, you know, because um, at the end of the day, it's, it's a bottom line financially, you know, uh, and it's a big circle, because... If you're playing at a venue that has a hundred, you know, hundred capacity, and the door charge is only five dollars or ten dollars, and that money's got to, that money's got to sort of, put, you know, it's got to feed everyone. It's not just the band. It's got to feed the venue. It's got to feed the band. It's got to feed the booking artist, the management. Um, That's for that drinks out. But it seems like, yeah, well, you know, at the end of the day, I think the worst part about it is that it, as a musician, I've seen it happen. Uh, a lot, and it's like the musician is always the bottom of the, you know, the food chain when it comes yeah. to eating. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it seems. It is a lot. It is. But you know, like I said, it can open a can of worms. Yeah, you can hear the sound checking downstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna pull it up there and thank you once again, cool. Michael, for pleasure spending the time, man. I appreciate Thanks. it. And I'll be at your show. Um, throwing things at dancing, you. dancing, yes. no crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks again. Man. Right, you, you, it means a lot to me and the, so, the association yeah. that we have for seeing you play at Little Old Adelaide. Now to seeing you play in Little Old Adelaide. Yeah. Someone did yeah. say to me once, you, you play in Adelaide twice in your career. 
once on the way up, and once on the way down. So this is your second show, right? I've, I've been <laughs> on a roller coaster forever. Yeah, right. All right, cool. Well, thanks again. Yeah, man. cheers, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this archive video podcast. This audio was taken from a previously recorded video interview. If you want to check out the video, simply head to peakbarter.com. We hope you enjoyed Pete's podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think will get value. And if you haven't already, head to PeteBarter.com for more Pete Barter content. And remember, do something good for yourself and someone else today. Thanks for listening.